Uh, Bram, no promises that this does not find its way into the podcast. So uh, okay. just understand that. <laughs> we have a really important question in front of us. Would you rather have the arms of a T-Rex or the neck of a Brachiosaurus? Very cool. Uh, Everybody needs their answer so I know. And you have to choose. Brachiosaurus is a really long one, right? Yeah, it's a super long one. Oh, definitely that. I, I prefer that dinosaur. I think so, too. You can eat all kinds of stuff. I'd rather, be, I'd rather have Tyrannosaurus Rex arms. <laughs> I, can, I just had an image of you with Tyrannosaurus Rex arms. The Tyrannosaurus Rex is, like, the best. Yeah. All I'd right. rather have um, the long yeah, neck. as a vegetarian, I'm not so into it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather have the long neck because I've been a short person my whole life. I like the plant-eating dinosaurs. Yeah. What'd you say, Jim? Uh, I'd rather have a long neck because I'm a short person, and I would like to see at concerts and shows. <laughs> oh, I like oh, that. I bet my wife, who's like five foot one, I feel like she I would definitely... Yeah, so she would definitely... Because <laughs> she has the whole thing where, like, the tallest person in the theater immediately sits in front of her. How many people pick the Tyrannosaurus Rex arms? Uh, uh, 52%. You'd be surprised. Wow. Oh, I'm in the yeah. majority. I, I think it's totally um, impractical. Like, I would want the, the neck, for sure. Yeah. Which is impractical as well. But <laughs> Which is, <laughs> other than, like, I can see everything. Like, neck injuries, but head injuries. That, like, hey, y'all, I can see it all. Like I just yeah. think about trying to get stuff done as a mom. Yeah. T-Rex arms aren't going to help no. anything. You know what? You could dunk a basketball a with, the, with the long neck. You could dunk a basketball. As a T-Rex, you can't. I'm, I'm like, I'd love to help you out, but I can't. <laughs> Look at my arms. Look at them. They're tiny. <laughs> I just like that I could do the dishes and be staring at my kid in her room. That's good. Yeah. That's good. All right. Good afternoon. How y'all doing? We are back. Yes. It is two dope teachers and a mic. My name is Gerardo Munoz. Your boy, Kevin Adams. And we are merely two dope yes. public school teachers. From the city, I almost said the city of New York. From the city of Denver. From yeah, the city of Denver. The mile high. The, we're, it's a mile high, and uh, we are out here. We out here. We are out here. <laughs> uh, today we got. I like a, how you pronounce that. We are out we here. We are out here. We are out here, guys. <laughs> Somebody has to bring that up. Um, it's been a long day. Uh, yes. We have something. Really dope. Yes. For y'all to hear today. We're doing we're, amazing stuff today. Yeah, what are we doing today? We are talking about a subject that we've been thinking about behind the scenes for a while. We today is our decolonize your AP class. Yes. Session. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm still dying here. I got You're my still wife dying. Is, my wife is texting me like during this. She knows I'm recording and so That's all like, right. having you to respond. respond. No, it's good. So you I'm better so, make sure so, you respond. So, so and which I did, which I did. She's like, How long is this gonna be? I'm like, man. Uh, when we get finished, that's why I say in my head. Um, yeah, but you don't say that good. No, I'm I say no. I want to have a podcast partner. Oh, right. I know. I, I know. I want you to get killed. Yeah, this is. The, I can see a conspiracy happening where you want to go solo. My wife is sick of me. Like you could definitely make me disappear a little bit. Just a little bit. No. Um, yeah. So we are going to talk about decolonizing your AP class. Yes. Uh, we realize that's a hot take. Yes. We realize that's something that may give people in their feelings a yep, little bit. Yeah. Um, but we have two fantastic individuals Amazing. who will be joining us. Uh, the eminent uh, Bram Hubble, uh, owner of the uh, history blog Paperless History. Yes. And then our colleague Jen Boyle Tarman, who teaches Advanced Placement United States History. Um, so we've got that coming up in in just a little bit. Um, and yeah, it's it's a good conversation. Yeah. Uh, full disclosure: we recorded this ahead. Of, we recorded the conversation ahead of time. It was dope. Stop! You're you're ruining it was the dope. magic of it all. Oh my bad. Not this, like they're gonna be able to tell. This should be. Yeah, they're not gonna tell. Now you're just gonna be like, oh my god. It's dope. It's dope. It's dope. Y'all yeah. are gonna like it. But we'll have them on the show, and uh, and you'll be able to hear that. But let's do a little checking in, man. Yeah. How you doing? I'm doing good. You yeah. Know, this week this week is moving on. 
nicely. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we're starting a new unit. We're talking about environment and sustainability with my eighth graders. Okay. They're really excited. Are they? They're jumping in. <laughs> Are they? We 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 dug into the oh we dug into the ecological footprint of a hamburger, fries, and a coke. Oh man. So I put that in and out. Yep. <laughs> Burger up there. Made them all and hungry. And they got hungry. They were like, yeah. now I'm hungry. Yeah. Then we read about it and they were like, now I'm depressed. <laughs> hungry like, and depressed. Oh my gosh, it takes a lot of resources to have that meal. Yeah. But they're is engaging. It, so is it true cool. that, like, I read somewhere that if every American cut out one red meat recipe a week, we would not even need to worry about carbon emissions? I believe that because when you start to dig in, like, as the kids were reading, um, there is so much carbon that goes into raising meat. Yeah. You know, and like, um, you know, a lot of people do meatless Mondays. Yeah. Right? Where they don't eat meat on Mondays. Uh, but I think, you know, it's it's an important step. And I had, it was funny because the kids brought that up. Well, I'm a vegetarian. I'm a vegan. Yeah. But what's the difference, right? And yeah. they were talking about that stuff. And so I'm really interested to see where this leads for the kids because it definitely was something that I was wondering, are they really going to be into this? Yeah. Surprise! They are. Yeah. Well, it's it's got that relevancy, right? It's their world. But also, um, also, you are not underestimating their real curiosity about real issues, and I think that's I think that's a trap I fall into a lot. Is that sometimes I'll kind of tell myself, "Oh, they're not going to care about this. This is nerdy." Yeah. yeah. And then, um, and then I either don't teach it, or if I do teach it, then it's like. Oh, y'all care. Y'all really care. actually like this. This is really that's important wild. to you. That is wild. You know, and so that's cool. So I'm, I'm on a high with that this yeah. week. You know, we'll so we're, this is going to be a good mood podcast, <laughs> unlike the last one. <laughs> we were, last one so we got some great feedback from y'all. Um, a lot of y'all felt really encouraged by the anger that we expressed yes. in our last episode. Yes. So we're um, there for you to encourage you with anger. We are. We are. Outrage. And, and, and we know that you're out here just like we're out here yep. uh, handling all this business. How was your week? My week has been really good. I caught up on my grading. Yes. Oh, man. Congratulations. I caught up on my grading. I can thank you. Thank you. Um, I cleaned up. Shout out to Angela Watson. Of, we need to have Angela on the show yes, to talk about to the 40-hour teacher yeah. work week because she also identifies as an anti-racist educator and oh, somebody who's good. committed to equity. Oh, that's and, in our neighborhood. And I think that this um, this program that I've been a part of, which I realize I get like PD hours for doing this. Do you? Yeah. Well, that's so good. like, which is dope. Um, so, but this program, I do believe, actually does. Um, increase equity because if I am on top of my stuff and I'm organized and I have methods and systems in place, that's just good for the kids. Right? Yeah, that is and true. And I've gotten some good feedback for the kid from the kids. They feel like they actually trust me that's with good. the teaching. So we did a um, <laughs> what? What am I? What am I thinking about today? Um, I'm hungry. You hungry? I like. I brought. You ever have that? You bring like a lunch. And it, it's not enough. And it's not enough. You eat it. You're like, I'm just more. Hungry. And then your child eats all your snacks. So I don't even have those Doritos that I was kind of hoping like, for. No. And then I had a junior come in asking me if I had snacks because she was really, really hungry and really, really frustrated. So I gave her, like, some snacks, and now I got nothing. Like, that's when I know I'm really hungry at work because I'm, like, planning. Like, I sit there and think about what I could eat. Yeah. I'm like, ooh, you know where I haven't been in a while? Yeah. I should go there. Yeah. I love their food. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah, like for you real. start planning out what you're going to eat. For real. I'm like... I need to eat something. It's like amazing. <laughs> like so, so I'm hungry. Um, and it's and there's been some busy stuff. Uh, our district it has announced a finalist for the superintendent position. Yes, it is actually drum roll. It's actually the Tudo Soup candidate oh. that we interviewed on the show, uh, Susana Cordova. So, so congrats to Susana. Shout out! Shout, shout out, out to you. And this evening, our student voice and leadership. Uh, 
uh, crew from all over the Denver Public Schools is um, engaging in a dialogue with um, Deputy Superintendent uh, Cordova about her vision for the district. You know what's dope about this meeting that's happening tonight? Yes. Adults are not allowed. There are two adults there who are who are basically uh, supervising. Yes. They're, they're, they're legally there. Shout out to Ananas and Solicia. Yes. Yeah, we also out. need to have on the show. The homies. Uh, who are there because legally adults have to be there. Yes. But we're looking at hopefully about 100 kids at North High School uh, talking to the superintendent Tell candidate on up. their terms, asking their questions. So shout out to those kids. Shout, shout out. out to Jocelyn and Ernie and Kaya and, and my crew here yeah. uh, who are out there. Uh, doing that great work so so it's been kind of cool i've been i mean it's been a few late nights you know just kind of helping the kids uh you know plan out how they're going to ask these questions um educating them is what the superintendent actually does because yep. there's a lot of kids who are kind of like so what is what the, is superintendent? the superintendent do? what do they do i know some teachers who are are a little unsure about what the i know some teachers who have some opinions as well <laughs> yeah um yeah. and so there's definitely some dialogue going on about transparency in the process uh the board of education um this leaked over twitter like a week early early and so i which i'm like that's amazing that's twitter. uh well you know what so, pushed her over what's that oh the interview, interview for the sure interview for sure for sure people got to you know heard her talking um all that all that dope stuff that yes. she be talking yes. and kind of got us into there um yeah so that's that's where i'm at right now just uh, giving a test tomorrow like and that's fraught with its own situation yes. for everybody but um but yeah man kind of kind of um Kind of starting to wrap up this year, uh, this year, this, this semester. This semester. Maybe I'm starting to wrap up the year. I don't know. We cut down our Christmas tree on Sunday. You did. You got to so cut. You go cut it. We now. go cut it. It's a you good go little official. Fish. We Where actually found go? a pretty good one. Normally we get like a little Charlie Brown looking. Where do you thing. go? Where do you go to cut it? We down? go up near Pine. Okay. Yeah, that's up past Conifer in okay. Evergreen. Yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, we go do that. Which... We've never done that. How long does it take? How long do you guys spend up there? We were pretty quick because we found some good ones. Um, it's about an hour. It's about 45 minutes to an hour to drive up. Uh-huh. And then you spend about an hour. So typically we spend about an hour looking for one, then we cut it down. Yeah. Um, but but then, like, so, but my, my mom and stepdad, like, have the worst time. So it takes them forever <laughs> to find one. They're very particular. Um, and then, but they find a good one. Yeah. So we got there. I want to say we got there around ten thirty, and we were eating lunch at Zoka's yeah. by like twelve thirty. There like we it go. was pretty quick, and we were back by about two. It is definitely a commitment. You get tired. Because um, I usually just go to the local Christmas tree so, lot. Yeah. No, as long as you don't have a fake tree. Like shout out to fake trees. Like that, that's we don't ridiculous. have a fake tree. Don't do a fake tree. Two y'all. years ago, we got our tree early. Yeah. And it dried all the way out. We had to See, get another tree. This is the. We had to get another tree. <laughs> Did you We're, water that? We did. It wasn't taking water. But. So here's the here's so here you know why that is? It's because those aren't fresh cut trees, dog. And so what what happens is they sit on these tree lots yeah. like for weeks yeah, before yeah, yeah. before it, they sell them. And that's why you have pine needle problems. So that's what people ask me. They're like, when you cut down your own tree, like how do you deal with all the pine needles? And like, like when I we mean, cut no. it down, we don't really have any pine needles. It's, it's fresh. not an issue. It's fresh. And so when you toss it out, it's not So hey, you should come up with us some year. Go. That's an adventure. We bring the both families. Cut, yeah. Cut the tree. Get down. that tree saw. I always make the abuelita hot chocolate. Put it in a big old like thing, and go. then we kind of kick it there. May or may not be some extra flavoring, air yeah. quotes uh, that goes in there sometimes. Ooh, so, uh, uh, hey, but it's a lot of fun. It's like, I'm and, always and, and, down. And the permits are like six dollars. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. So you pay six. You gotta bring your own saw. You gotta bring your own saw. You bring the chainsaw. Smokey the bears there. Um, you bring the chainsaw. I'm sure you could, but it's really not necessary. Yo, don't man, don't bring your chainsaw. You'll be like that guy. It's like piercing the 
the, the quiet of the wilderness You're like, it's so in, in your chainsaw. Um, yeah, so th- that was good. Uh, we still haven't decorated because Steve's There you life. go. Yeah, you get it there, but it's making your house smell nice. It is. It That's is. the key. That's one of my favorite Giving the dog a nice place to lay under. He likes being under the tree. Oh, good, um, good. It's good. It's a good little feeling. Makes us happy. Yep, yeah. It's a nice time of year. Yeah. Nice time of year. Yeah. So, um... Oh, what do we gotta talk about? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, on this episode? On this episode, so we got we got our we got this coming out. Um, you know, uh, this is where oh we 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 have the subject that's going on right now. We are in an interesting season in our community. What season? School is that? choice season. Oh yeah. And yeah, you, and you've been engaged in this process. I have been. We we have to engage in it again. Yeah. Because my son is ready to move from fifth to sixth grade. Oh, okay. We don't have to worry about my daughter because yep. we know she's set. She's set. She's, she's living here. her best life living with her that hoodie on top with of her, her hoodie. Bun, on you know, her like <laughs> so funny. No, yeah. So th- this is an interesting thing, and and we'll definitely we're gonna expand on this a little bit as we go. But like, um, so in in Denver, as in many districts across the country, we're entering the school choice window, and I have an eighth grader. So yes. this eighth grader is looking to make the transition to high school. Yep. Uh, sadly, has decided that she will not be attending this fine institution for high school. Uh, but it's one of those things we will where, miss her. yeah, and you know, it's one of those things where you kind of you let the kid kind of guide you a yep, little bit. That's important. But so we've visited uh, two high schools, and she's kind of narrowed it down to these two high, high schools that she wants to uh, attend. One has an audition process. Yes. One is the neighborhood school Very that she good. would choice yeah. into. She can but walk it, to. But that she can walk to. Very but cool. but it's an interesting thing, like having sort of seen how this process kind of goes mm-hmm. and thinking about our our um the the conference that we attended in in chicago um that kind of challenges these narratives of school, school choice and and how it is really in a pretty inequitable process so there's a few things i've been kind of thinking about you can tell me if this is kind of what's been on your mind yep. with your son yep. um the first thing is that both of these visitations um, occurred during the workday, right? So there was one day I needed to take an afternoon off yep. um, so I could take her to a shadowing at one school, and there was one day I had to get people to cover two, two, my first two classes yep. so that I could um, go to this open house with her. And one of the, and we're not saying names here, um, but one of the schools has alternate sort of events that you can attend. You can do an evening event in January. You can, like I know that there was a parents meet the school leaders, uh, you know, event this week uh-huh. that, that was available. So there were lots of different windows where people could kind of come. And I know our school has this as well, yep, yep. where uh, where kids can come and shadow during the day. They can do a tour during the day. Yep, they can yep. do an open house. But there's also evening open houses. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something really intentional that we tried to do, knowing people's work schedules. Yeah. But it just kind of like occurred to me. It didn't just occur to me this week. I've always sort yeah, of known yeah, this. Yeah. But, but it became a more visceral realization on my part when I realized I looked around and, and there was one kind of person in the room, right? Yeah. It is um, white middle class families for the most part yeah. who probably were working in professions that allowed them a lot of flexibility. Yep. And it just it's just another thing that just drives home the inequity of this process. And then you feel like a hypocrite for participating in the process. But it's kind of like, it's frustrating and it's disappointing. And, um, 
And as we are seeing one superintendent transition out, who is very much about this market approach yep. to education, um, I'll be curious to see how school choice unfolds under the new regime. Is that, is yeah, that what, what yeah. are your thoughts about this? It's whole very thing? interesting. You know, I always think about the same thing in terms of the timing of it, when you have the time to go to schools. Um, for the schools, I knew what was going on at our school. Yeah. So, like, I didn't have to go there, but for the schools that my wife went and visited, yep. uh, school down the street, you know, that was all in the morning during the day. So yeah. I, I really couldn't access it. Yeah. And then I think about our working class parents who don't have the option to just take off half a day right. or, or these things. And I think it goes back, you know, to um, the conference. Uh, you know, we choose the journey, for justice. The yeah. journey for justice, J for J. Yeah, J we for choose J. educational equity, not yep. the illusion of school choice. Yep. And it, it, it hits home like you said that this is that illusion of choice and it's not equitable the people who have the opportunity to make the most out of the choice are the people with the most resources absolutely the, uh, opportunities to take off work the time to research these different schools yep. to access them online to know about all the schools that are beyond the neighborhood school yeah right and so it always with our kids, it makes me always question, you know, even sending my daughter here, it's like, yeah. should I be sending her to our neighborhood school? Should right. I be strengthening her? But our neighborhood school's already a charter, yeah. right? It's yeah. already got yeah. this other program, yep. in, or innovate school innovation zone. Yeah. I don't think it's a charter, but it's an innovation zone, and so there's some different stuff that's going on. Um, and so I always wonder about that. And it, it's just so difficult. You all have to have yeah. a lot of knowledge. And well, I love what you said. How many schools did you have to? Oh yeah, this is really fun. well. You don't have to. Do you this, don't have to, but, but you're up to. But our but the dis but our district, um, like last year, I think it was seven schools. You could you could choice yeah. this up to seven schools. Now it's twelve. Twelve schools. It's What's just, the point of it putting is twelve wild. schools into this? Like list? you know, and, and I don't really even understand what that's all about. And I imagine that's more for bureaucratic convenience, and it is for any benefit to family. But I, th I think, you know, the thing I get caught up with, and you, you know me, like this is kind of, I go into this pessimistic kind of space. The thing I kind of get stuck on is how, how do you put this cat back in the bag? Right? How do you put it's it's like it's like capitalism run amok, right? It's kinda like, well, we want everybody to have school choice. So we're gonna but we don't have this notion of maybe we need to dial it back a little bit. Because I think what we run into, and we referred to this last episode with the Atlantic article, is that disproportionately parents are gonna choice their kids into some schools yep. and not into others. That's and right. as like you mentioned in your neighborhood, it's like a charter school, right? Yep. So as resources get drained, as we bleed students out of yep. one part of town, well all of a sudden that compounds a negative reputation of a part of town. The the neighborhood I grew up in has no reputation for quality schools no. anymore. Even though I know there are people doing great work at Manual High That's School, right. at Whittier Elementary, right. at like at the at the public schools in that area, there are teachers and teachers who are committed in doing great work there are leaders who are leading there are kids who are determined to have a great future and this the fact that one school is going to have hundreds of people choice into it and others will have nobody, nobody choice, choice into, into it. it 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 contributes to the narrative of failing schools it contributes to the narrative of failing communities yeah. and it contributes to the notion that i got to go out there and get mine so folks like i don't whether you participate in the choice process mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have to. Like, you have to. There's no default setting. Yeah, you have to go in and click the thing. Everybody. So you are not going to make any change by yourself 
opting to not participate or engage yep, in the choice yep. process. There has to be organization around systemic change. Yeah. To, there's to no other way to do it. Against this movement to say, we deserve our neighborhood schools. Yeah. It's like what they did at North High School in our city, yeah. where they said, we're going to push back. Yeah. You're not going to do what you want to do. We know you want to destroy this school. Yeah. We're not letting that happen in our community. So I have some thoughts on that, too, mm-hmm. because I think that that has been kind of a story of success in some ways. Yes. But I've known some families who joined the Choose North movement back in the day. Yeah. But then when their kids want to go to Wheat Ridge, they're like, we're sending to Wheat Ridge, right? Yeah. And it kind of yeah. is disproportionately white families, yes. you know? And well, so because the, the traditional population in North was still there. Yeah, exactly. Right? So that's my thought is that's my feeling is kind of <coughs> like um, – White communities don't always recognize um, the power that they have to dictate these these narratives. And so it's it's kind of – it's sort of like we are only responsive when white feeling, white families feel some kind of way about, right. about the choices in their neighborhoods. And it's unfortunate. This is not a shot at white families, right? Yeah, this yeah. is a shot at a system that is only responsive to white families. Yes, we have yes. a totally culturally responsive system, right? Yep. It's just, it's it's just responsive. responsive to There's a very culture. specific – culture and uh, segment of the population that it's um, that it is responsive to yeah um, so we will we will do a longer sort we'll of get into uh, this piece school on, choice on school choice and we'll sort of look at what the current thinking is around that and you know but but increasingly it just seems like it's gonna be really hard to put that cat back in the bag it, it really does and I went to the union bargaining session last yeah. night and that was one of the things that they brought up is the uh, <laughs> the ballooning of charter schools, right? Yeah. And so when they talk about what money they have yeah. to give to public education, yeah. part of that money that comes to our district from the state has to go to these charters. That's and right. the question That's was right. raised by one of the negotiators, um, who's pushing back to decrease? You guys have allowed all these charters, That's right. which has taken away the pie from yeah. the rest of the kids who we're supposed yeah. to be serving, That's the right. public school students, That's right. the teachers who are working in these schools. And so we kind of have created this problem, and I think it goes back to that question is, what's the goal of all this reform? No, that, that's exactly what is it. it. What's the goal? Where are we headed with it all? comes back to the question, follow the money. Check out episode 31 for uh-huh. that one, right? Because uh-huh. we kind of get into that. Um, so cool. Well, let's uh, let's uh, transition over to yes. um, to our conversation with uh, with Bram and Jen. Yeah. Uh, so here we go. Y'all love it. Yep. All right, we're sitting here, folks, with our guest for the episode today. We've got Jennifer Boyle Tarman. Tarman, yep. And we have Bram Hubble. Hubble, <laughs> uh, two amazing <laughs> AP teachers. Uh, here to talk about decolonizing their syllabus. Yes. yes. Decolonizing your AP course. De- so I thought it was your syllabus. That's what your shirt says. Yo, your syllabus is just a part of the course. Am I right? Am I right, people? <laughs> yes. Is this thing yes. on? All right, yes. cool. Yes. Mike's sort of yes. mic is on. Yeah, so th- this comes from um, a number of... Well, first, it sort of starts with uh, some conversations that a uh, loyal listener, Bram, has... Uh, has kind of instigated that that's actually well instigated in the AP community but also initiated with us on the podcast uh and so we want to kind of explore this idea of um of how AP courses sometimes represent a colonial structure for many of our students so um so that's kind of where this conversation is coming from uh let's have our two guests introduce themselves real quick um tell us who you are and anything else you think is pertinent um to this conversation Sure, I'll start. Um, my name is Jennifer Boyle-Tarman. Um, I am a teacher in the Denver area, 
and I teach AP U.S. History along with On Level U.S. History, and I've been teaching AP for about five years now. All right. All right. Uh, and um, I'm Bram Hubble. I teach um, World History at um, Friends Seminary in New York City. I don't technically teach AP World History anymore because we don't actually have it, but I um, designed um, or helped revised the AP curriculum, I helped write the tests for a number of years, and I um, try to write as much as possible um, in different forums about world history for teachers. Very cool. And, and uh, Bram, you have a you have a great blog that um, that you've made. Of, I mean, it's incredible resources that you've made available to people. Can you talk a little bit about paperless history? So, paperless history is um, the blog that I started about four years or so ago when I was on sabbatical, and I wrote a lot that first year, and then I kind of fell off. And then in the last um, couple months, I've been really committed to sort of writing again with the focus on like what does it mean to decolonize uh, modern world history given the change that's coming next year for AP world history that the new curriculum is going to only focus on the period from 1200 to present yep uh, interesting yeah, yeah. Uh, and for those of you who um, may be even if you're not an AP teacher um, y- you know uh, check out paperless history we'll link to it um, through our social media uh, platforms. It, the decolonized page is dope, Bram. That is dope. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I if, it. if yeah, if people haven't taken a look at it, um, it's excellent. It's everything from like uh, supporting Yvette Chavez, who uh, designed the T-shirt that uh, that I wear at times, the decolonizer syllabus yes. T-shirt, um, all the way to some really important questions. Also, your Monday maps have bailed me out <laughs> of so many days that I didn't have lesson plans, there dog. Go. Like I gotta tell you. Uh, so it's really incredible Shout out stuff. For the support. Yeah. So we've got. So wait a minute. So so world history for about twenty years on your end, right, Bram? Yeah. And then uh-huh. and then AP US history five, five years. years and then eight years of AP world history. We got like over thirty years of AP experience. Yeah, I've been, or yep, history yeah, I've been teaching here. AP hey, almost you, as hey, long as I've been alive. Hey, do you teach history? <laughs> do Do I teach? history? Do you teach history? What What do you teach even? <laughs> <laughs> he did today. I teach. I taught, yeah, yeah, what did you teach today? About, about trenches. About trenches. Why whoa, are you telling whoa. me like I should know that? I didn't know you taught trenches about that. Dope. Tren- trenches are not dope. Tren- well, trenches are about awful. Trenches are dope. <laughs> Learning about, about trenches, trenches. teaching about trenches <laughs> is dope. That's fair, I guess. But uh, yeah, okay. So I teach global <laughs> service learning. I'm envious of you guys because, like, I'm a person who came into it, started as a history teacher. Yeah. And. Like, I don't teach any history classes. You don't teach any history classes. <laughs> Although, like, even when I don't teach history, everything I teach yeah, is history yeah, anyway. Yeah, rooted Like, in that's history. kind of my training. So, so let's talk a little bit about this. I guess the first question I have um, for, uh, for Jen and for Bram is, um, so, and Bram, I know you're not teaching AP classes now, uh, but when you did, I think this will still apply. Why do you teach AP? Oh, gosh, why do I teach AP? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, partially, we had been teaching world history at my school for almost 40 years now, like really trying to do good world history. And I guess, where was it, like about 15 years or so ago, we, when AP World was really first getting going, it just sort of made sense to like offer it. And we did it pretty much like in keeping with what we were already doing with world history, just at a slightly faster pace. And so like I did world AP classes because it was something at the time 
um, it seemed like a good opportunity for the students. Um, yeah, so I mean, it was it, it was really something that they wanted, and yeah. so that's why we added AP World. Okay. Yeah, Jen. Maybe the better question is, why do I continue to teach <laughs> uh, an AP that, class? That's a good one. Because really, what the, the logistically in, in, in beginning to teach it, it was there was a need I offered. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so why do I continue right. to teach AP? Really, I think it's that I value um, the amount that I'm able to push students in terms of skills, um, which are far outside of just you know uh, offering in a history course. And, and meeting a need for students who are wanting to go above and beyond and work at a more rigorous pace. But I also really love to balance that. I love teaching our on-level US history class too because there are so many wonderful things to both and um, both make me, it feels like a good balance and I'm glad we offer both because I don't think that one is superior to the other in yeah. any way. Yeah. I like that you say that, you know, because I think oftentimes people have this opinion or thought that, you know, like one is better. Like if I'm an AP student, that somehow I'm better. If I'm on level, somehow I'm lower. But I think you make this really good point. And we always have our kids debating, like, should I take the AP class or should I not, you know? And I'm always interested when we see kids who are, quote unquote, I'm making my air quotes people, able to take AP classes and we don't see them and how we react to them. Or kids who aren't, quote unquote, able or have the ability or um, ready for AP classes and how we view those kids, you know, it's very interesting. Yeah, I think, and Bram, I'd love to know how you approach this too. When I tell students, uh, there, there's no gatekeeping process to take an AP course um, for, for AP US history. It is purely based on whether or not you are interested. So we have plenty of students who it's going to be a struggle or a reach based on previous performances. Um, for other students, they opt out of it for a variety of reasons. And what I try to do for both is make very clear for anyone interested in taking AP, these are going to be some basic general expectations and for those who maybe have opted out to have conversations with everyone if you're willing to do the work I'd love to have you but AP is not the be all end all yeah. um, by any means I have plenty of students who have opted to take on level for mental health reasons for scheduling reasons yeah. for commitment to sports or jobs or family yeah yeah so I didn't have the choice about sort of the gatekeeping element. It was a decision that the school made when I started teaching the class that you had to have um, earned a certain grade in the previous year in the ninth grade world history class in order to take it in 10th grade. But the, the sort of dirty secret of me, like when I taught AP and worked with the college board for so long was that I actually want to get rid of AP courses because <laughs> I really have like, believe that like stu all students should be in the classroom together because I just the notion that like there's certain classes that are more rigorous than others or things like that like then trickles down to the students like that some are better students yep. than others as you suggested and so I like having all of the students together so I'm much happier now not formally teaching an AP class yeah. since it does have a more diverse group of students in the classroom yeah I think that's a really interesting point because I think about um, the ethnic breakdown of even my AP courses and, uh, and and Jen and I kind of like we're in the same department obviously so a lot of our policies are kind of similar in that way um, but there, I mean it, it's interesting how kids will construct their own notion of how qualified they are for these classes 
um, yeah. which has nothing to do with their actual ability. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, any anything that's measurable, they just don't think they belong in AP classes. And on the flip side, there's kids that will take every AP class who have no intention of doing the work or, like, <laughs> working hard or engaging or, But they're you know, like, I belong in every AP class. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's an interesting kind of thing. So, so, so you're looking to... You're you're not looking to decolonize AP. You're looking to like burn it down. <laughs> burn it down. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. But I, I I do also I should also point out like that because of the sort of unique nature of the school that I'm teaching in, it's a little bit different. That like I understand like why AP classes exist for different um, sort of educational settings. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I'm I'm in this kind of, like, really incredible Quaker school that I have so much freedom in what I'm able to do with the AP classes that, like, they, that's why I, I have some concerns with them. But I think in school districts or in schools where you don't have quite as much freedom, AP classes can be something really exciting. All right. Thoughts? Yeah. Anyone? Yo, I'm going to turn on video here, then you can see our pretty faces. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, I think that's an interesting point. Like uh, when we talk about AP classes, um, Bram, your point about like who's in them, who has access to them, and this idea that um, you know all kids deserve rigorous access to high-level engaging instruction that kind of pushes them. And so um, I go back. So like you guys are talking about decolonizing AP yeah. classes, yeah. but why wouldn't you say all? school needs to be decolonized. What's the difference when it comes to colonization in uh, AP classes versus the a, rest of the school? That's a good question. We never say we didn't want to decolonize other <laughs> things. Uh, yeah, so I guess that brings us to that whole idea. What is it about AP courses that needs to be decolonized and what does that mean? Uh, thoughts? Not a big question at all. <laughs> Not a big question. No. <laughs> Well, uh, one of you can start. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, I, I guess in my mind, I see two two aspects to this. One is by promoting access to all students, um, regardless of how you know outside of school commitments. Um, I really believe that as a teacher, what I can count on is what I can do in my classroom, and outside of the classroom, I have zero control over. Mm -hmm. But um, really making sure that all students have access and students feel supported and recognizing that my class, regardless of whether it's AP or not, is not the most important thing in the world. Our students are whole people with uh, beautiful, messy lives. And so we need to support <laughs> them in that. Um, and then that secondary piece, too, of decolonizing the curriculum and making sure um, I always make a promise to my students at the beginning of the school year, and I work so hard every day to achieve it, even though I just keep, it that, keep thinking of that my Angelou quote, when you know better, you do better. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so every year I kind of have a crisis of confidence <laughs> about um, knowing how much better I need to do each year to do right by the students in my class and to teach a history that feels reflective um, and representative of the students in my classroom. So I see it in those in those two aspects. Yeah, yeah. And, and and just to like so Jen like she really lives this. Yeah, um, she does. So like many of us will ask for student feedback on our teaching and like what's going well, what's not going so yeah, well, what do you yeah. need to be successful? Not all of us are willing to put that yep. on the smart board for or on the projector for <laughs> everybody in the class Jen to will see. Do that. <laughs> she will put it up there. And she will and she doesn't put the kids' names on it, but she'll put it up there for the entire class to see um, what kind of the feedback is. And I think I think that's that's another really valuable aspect of of the idea of decolonizing an AP class, that you're sort of doing away with this notion that the teacher exists with this 
like not always comprehensible notion of what's correct and what's incorrect and what's quality and what's not quality. You're kind of laying bare all of this kind of stuff in a collaborative nature. Uh, what do you think, Bram? So this is great because I think you guys have hit on what I think of as like the two very different meanings for decolonizing AP classes or classes in general that there's like on one level it has to do with like the content like which authors are you having students look at yeah. you know in world history I think this is really relevant that you know yeah. you make sure since you are teaching about technically the whole world that the sources you're using represent more than just Europeans or Westerners <laughs> so like there's that surface level but then this other point that we're getting at I think how you structure the class is such a big part of it. Um, and so finding ways to really kind of destabilize like the notion that like you're the teacher who's the sage on the stage there to share wisdom with the kids um, and finding ways to get them involved. So like I'm, I'm curious to hear that, you know, Jennifer's using um, the smart board here with like the, the feedback from the students because I do regularly these like open-ended discussions about like how's class going with the kids and so they'll start off doing some sort of private writing for themselves that they'll share with me and then we open it up um, and just like have a 45 minute discussion like what have you really enjoyed about the class what isn't working for you what do you want to see changed you know and I can't always like address everything that the students want, but like right. they get this opportunity where they feel that they're invested in shaping how the course works, yeah. and I think that's a huge part of it. I like that idea, and I would ask um, it just you know to give you guys background on my own educational experience. Uh, I've never had any experience teaching AP classes. I never took any AP classes. Yeah. Nobody at my high school encouraged me to take any AP classes, yeah. and so my understanding of uh, were are very different than what I see you guys doing on a database, and um, and what you're saying you do, Bram, is like it really does open up for like a richer discussion mm-hmm. and exploration of ideas, and um, you know it's something that I think is really important for all students. Yeah. And 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 like you're saying, how can we like push that out to where we're not separating, where we're saying these are good practices in AP classes. Versus saying these are just good practices yeah. for all to engage all kids in high level discussions. Yeah, definitely. Did you? I think, yeah, I go was ahead. just going to quickly say like I think part of it, the reason why it's become focused on like decolonizing AP classes is there's been like a you know sort of like tyranny of the AP classes over so much American education in yeah. the last ten years, and you know. I, while I was working with the college board, like they loved to talk about like how many more students every year was taking AP world history and it was great. And at the same time, like there's always this thought in the back of my head, like, well, what does it mean that the students aren't getting to study if AP classes are like doubling in numbers or whatever it is, yeah. growing by fifteen percent every year? It meant something was not happening. Hmm. So I have a question for you guys. As someone who doesn't teach AP classes, how do you balance the desire of students to really achieve on these AP tests with like cultivating genuine knowledge and having like really like you know rich discussions for the basis of knowledge? Like, and we're learning this stuff not just like I know the ultimate goal is the test, 
But how do you really, and like, do you guys see, is there a difference? Do you feel like, you know, kids are really pulling out this rich kind of, because I know all of you like have a desire that kids really have a deep understanding and rich appreciation for the history. But do you see that as a contradiction to the end goal of the grade or the test score? Do you want to take this one since you'll have to go pretty soon? Sure. Um, I, I think to kind of balance out having authentic conversations and meeting the needs of students who actually pass the AP exam, where for some it is kind of just a feather in their cap. For others, there's a very tangible result of, I need this class to reduce financial costs for mm-hmm. me in mm-hmm. college, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of that, that spectrum. So um, I don't know that I have the best answer to it. I know that it's a balance and I try to um, implement in my classes, I I try to use kind of the AP exam as a vehicle um, for just building skills that are going to be valuable no matter what. Um, And that's a balance for me personally um, and having gone to, uh, to one of the AP read like the readings where I helped yeah. score DBQs a couple of years ago which was very <laughs> I, enlightening I, I still don't know how you get man I um, was like oh god it was brutal uh, it was very enlightening and we will <laughs> <laughs> I have not gone back <laughs> um, but what I was able to see and as, as a as a challenge I see I was able to grade or I was able to assess beautifully written essays that scored very poorly on the rubric. Ah, And on the flip side, I also graded really poorly written essays that scored very well. And so what my takeaway from that is, um, I think that you can see the AP framework and I think that you can see the AP rubrics and just how you're supposed to do it. And you can become a very rigid kind of, not very interesting or authentic kind of delivery of information system. And I don't want students to leave my class writing like robots that, are, that aren't producing something yeah. good. So my yeah. goal is to produce, um, so I've, I've expanded on the AP rubrics to reflect things that I think are important um, beyond just a checkbox. Yeah. So for me, I think it's um, having higher expectations of like, and meaningful expectations that yeah. aren't just, did you have the thesis and was it yeah. in the introduction? Check, like that doesn't make for a good essay in isolation. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's a balance and it's trying to build genuinely useful skills um, so that they do feel prepared. And I think practically speaking that you're using assessments that do reflect the AP exam. So it's not just going to the other end of the yeah, spectrum yeah, of yeah. like, we're just going to learn for the sake of learning, yeah. but not feeling yeah. prepared. So yeah. I do feel like it is a compliment for my students when they say, I know exactly what to expect on the exam. I know how to do this. I've seen it many times before. Um, And I feel like that is not always the most enjoyable way to be assessed, (laughs) but it is, uh, it it feels authentic in the sense that their goal is to pass the AP exam. Yeah, Yeah, like, and and first of all, Jen's rubrics are dope. Like, it's really good stuff. And I feel like I've, you know, been the beneficiary of a lot of that. You know, You've been have, using them. Have, oh you yeah, make up your own. I've been using them. That's right. Why? That's why right. am I going to do the work? That's right. No, I do a lot of work. <laughs> Don't even. I work so hard. <laughs> um, Let me tell you, I work so hard. I'm going to cry. So okay, cool. So um, so we have we have a few more minutes with Jen. Uh, one thing I want to also call out, having uh, known Jen as an AP teacher, like in our building is a sense of community that she actually does build with her students. Um, Students get her after they get me, which is a very interesting kind of transition uh, the last few years. Um, And I'll tell you that any student who's ambivalent going into junior year about taking a push at our school, um, most of the time they're like, 
but it's Miss Boyle, so it's going to be okay. So like, be she's got, like, I know she's going to take care of me. I know she's on it. I know it's high expense. Like, you're, you're intimidating to them a little bit. Um, but also, they know that you're going to take care of them. I think that's the other part. So my experience taking AP classes in high school uh, was that my mom made me. Um, instead of having free periods. Shout out, you better thank you. Shout out to my mom for making me really thank mad you, between the ages of 16 and 18. She made you eat your vegetables. She did not, actually. She just no. wouldn't let me show, like, I mean, sweets. metaphorically. Oh, those kind of vegetables. <laughs> like, I'm like, why are you talking about my diet, dog? Like, I'm sure she was trying to make you eat your she vegetables. She was. My, my mom was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, she, was, she had her little garden, you know, whatever. Um, but so when my experience of those classes was really difficult and actually kept me like really reticent to teach these classes once I became a teacher yeah. because my experience of those was it was it was Eurocentric it was monocultural in the classroom like I was the only dark skinned person in yes. the classroom me, me me and William and he never said a word and and I don't like, blame him William's like I'm not saying a word in this class right uh, shout out to <laughs> William uh, where I was like fighting people but like so my experience was like that very sort of being in this kind of very privileged space and the sort of cutthroat competitiveness between the students. And so my narrative of AP was always like, I don't want to take that kind of AP. I don't want to be constantly like giving the side eye to my students, to my classmates and in this sort of environment. But one of the ways I think you decolonize these classes is you actually build this community around which everybody's trying to move forward as a learner, including yourself as a teacher. And I think that's something that's been really powerful. And, you know, I had students... So we used to do A push at 10th grade and uh, world at 11th grade. And so for half of the time I was teaching, I would get students after they had Ms. Boyle and they would talk about how, um, how when, they, when they were in that class, it was just like the, the way that they were supported was really powerful. And so then I felt bad when my life was like a mess. And like, I'm like, that's cool, organization, updated grade book. Yeah, you're not gonna get any of that. Fortunately, you can take care of yourselves. But sort of the self-confidence to know what their goals were, I think that came out of that experience. Yeah. Jen, can you talk about, so I don't know, Bram, if you teach like um, an on-level version of your class and an AP, but he I don't teach AP. Oh, I but, know you don't but, teach AP. But good that you were paying attention. But, but <laughs> I was paying attention. I knew that I, in the past. Oh, in the past. Talking You're talking the about the past. past. Okay. I go back but, on But, Jim, can you talk about how you kind of, like, the differences between your on-level class and your AP class and how you kind of, because I know you've spent a lot of time trying to, like, navigate the stream between them and really kind of, Bring those parts of AP that aren't, or, or bring the parts of AP that aren't in the on-level class to those on-level kids, and bring the parts of the on-level stuff to the AP so, kids. Yeah. So, yeah, because of like the like long history of doing world history at my school, I didn't ever even think of like doing things differently for the AP students. Yeah. Um, you know, the only thing was because of when the AP test is in, like, you know, early to middle May, and when the last one the on the calendar, year, it's the last one on the calendar. Yeah, and when <laughs> the school year begins for us here in New York City in September, like mm -hmm. after Labor Day, oh, yeah. I just needed to move at a slightly faster pace. So the students in AP World they met one extra time per week than the regular students. So we could just get through the material a little bit faster. Yeah. But the actual yeah, lessons, right? the activities, <laughs> <Makes sense or laughs> something. 
What? Oh, I said that actually makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it. It was there was no difference whatsoever. Like they had the exact same class. They just the AP students needed to finish a month earlier, so we would have time to review and prep for the test right before. And so, like to circle back to like what was mentioned a little bit earlier, like in terms of the assignments, like. I almost never did like AP, I'm doing the air quotes now, um, <laughs> like AP assignments in terms of essays or anything like that. I just had, here's the historical thinking skills that the AP tests were based on, that you need to be able to make comparisons between different regions of the world. You need to be able to contextualize. You need to be able to work on change and continuity over yeah. time. And I would structure my assignments around those skills. But I would do fun or creative assignments. I did a lot of creative writing using primary sources with students, but that would be focused on something like comparison. Yep. And then right before the test, like I would just do like a week-long crash course. Like, okay, for the AP test, you have this really formulaic writing that you need to do. Here's how you do it. And then as soon as the test is over, I want you to forget to how to write that way. Right. <laughs> and just focus on the skills. It's yeah. writing, actually. Yeah. What is a, like a good AP essay? It's often very formulaic. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I think, too, I, I'd say the biggest difference between uh, AP and on-level for me is, is the pacing one because at our school – U.S. history for on-level starts with the Civil War, which is always... Yeah, it's like different timelines. <laughs> so it's a very different timeline. So and they do this like four years or three years after they've gotten the first yeah. half. Yeah, middle so school. we have to do a lot of review to get ourselves to the point where that is a practical place to start. Yeah. Remember when you were 13? <sighs> um, so yeah, there's a lot of review. but So a lot of it is the pacing and like Bram said, it's the assessments. Um, for AP, the assessments are always the same. It is stimulus-based multiple choice, short answer questions, and an essay. Um, it is not a three-hour you know, version of, of what the actual AP exam is, but we're working towards that. And for my on-level courses, it's a variety. So sometimes it is an essay. Other times it is a historical narrative. Other I mean, we're, we're doing the same activities, yeah. um, but we're doing it at a slower pace than on-level, and we are doing different assessments yeah. Um, yeah. because the assessments... I have a lot more like freedom and creativity. So I actually do, I really don't try to do, well, this class gets to do this separate thing. So it's, it's both, um, it, there are sometimes modifications either yeah. for pacing and ultimately in some ways I'm, I'm almost kind of gone to the other end of the spectrum where I almost wish I could just teach it the way I teach on level, which is a much more slowed down, yeah. Yeah. um, yeah. kind of approach where I think we can delve into even more, content that feels um, relevant, that feels really engaging beyond just kind of this this framework or that the textbook prioritizes. So um, more and more, the, and I'd be curious to know what you thought too, Bram and, and Gerardo as well with teaching AP. The, the longer I've taught AP, the more I've gone away from our textbook. <laughs> yeah. Um, as a resource, that's, that's for real, I just, because it's, it's a very particular narrative and it's not that it's not valuable or yeah. useful, but I use it as a reference, and that is the only homework I give my AP kids. You have to read the chapter on your own. We will cover content in class, but the more I do, the longer I teach this class, the the less reliant I am on on the textbook, on the textbook. and the more reliant I am on <laughs> yeah. many other sources. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 yeah same That's thing. interesting. Now, yeah, and I've I've 
we've talked about some of that, like in your like just your desire to kind of be like, I wish I had more space where we could really just explore. So it's always interesting how you guys balance that. You mentioned homework. And like, do you guys see homework as a barrier or kind of like when we talk about decolonizing these AP courses or getting different types of kids into these classes, what do you guys, what, what role does homework play in it all? And like Gerardo had mentioned, like we talk about what the quote on air quotes again, um, what that ideal AP student looks like. So how do you guys like work that out with homework and, and things like that when you're trying to bring in kids who might not always have the resources at home, like you said, Jen, you can only control what happens in your class. So how do you guys work around that? Around homeworks? Yeah. yeah. Or, or Expectations yeah. in general. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So for me, um, we've like modified our school schedule a lot the last few years to try to do fewer classes each day for the students so that they actually have time in the day to like do quote unquote their homework. Yeah. It's like and, practical again. Again. Yeah. It's again, your... it's practical. <laughs> it's Quakers. It's Quakers. <laughs> so there's that element. And then for me, like the homework is reading. And so like I always tell the kids, like I want you to do the reading. I don't expect you to come in knowing everything. Like what I want is for you to be familiar with it so that you know, if I mention like the Haitian Revolution, you're not like, "Where's Haiti?" You know, like, you know <laughs> and maybe it was like a revolution, like, right? <laughs> yeah, you know. And but then once we get to class, they're then working in groups, or we're having a discussion where like they're able to go back to the readings, they're able to reference it and talk about it, they're able to like dig at it with each other, and so the homework is really designed just as an introduction like I I mean I do have some out-of-class writing assignments that they do which then does require work but the day-to-day -day homework I don't put a lot of stress on that as something that has to be done or to be done perfectly yeah Jen do you make them turn in notes I do not see this is where this is where <laughs> we differ and I'm and I want so to hash this out because it, no it scares me well no and then <laughs> my students will throw shade at me it's like you know Miss Boyle doesn't make notes so like no and and so I've got I've got my reasons for wanting to do it but I kind of want to interrogate those reasons um so I kind of want to hear what you do um so what, I feel like we've been talking about each other about this for years <laughs> but we haven't <laughs> like <laughs> we haven't like talked to each other about you're it. welcome AP students <laughs> to Onboard students to consider AP junior year, I tell them that I don't do reading notes, and uh, that is a bit of a carrot. <laughs> oh, no, they're like, oh, I'm so tired of doing reading notes. You know notes. how you were doing those reading notes in the world? <laughs> yep. The WAP? Yeah. So I, I don't do reading notes. Um, I did them in my first year of AP teaching because when I went to the APSI, the instructor said, do reading notes. And I said, okay, I'll do reading notes. <laughs> That's why I still do it. It's been and like so 10 years. I did the reading notes the first year, and what I saw unfold was a, um, a, without kind of trying to interrogate the reasons why kids were doing all of the things they were doing, but on a practical standpoint, what I saw is a lot of kids just either not doing them at all, um, you know, grades or consequences be damned, yep. um, and then a lot of <laughs> yeah. kids cheating. Wait, can yep. we say damned um, on this podcast? I guess we can. All right. I just it's in did. the Bible. <laughs> so. She just did. It's, uh, it is in the Bible. You That's can, true. You can edit that out, I suppose. <laughs> no, we can't. We don't okay. know how. <laughs> A more sophisticated person could edit that You're out. Good. You're good. That's um, right. <laughs> so, practically speaking, I felt like it was a waste of my time to be chasing down students to do reading notes. You have... And 
a lot of, and for some of them it was valuable. Some of the students that go from your class photo to mine um, continue to do them, but yeah. most do not. What I do instead, and um, I, I don't think it's a perfect system, but in conversations with students, it seems to be, to in order to get them to read, as Bram said, kind of to have as an introduction. I don't expect you to read and memorize and fully comprehend everything that was yeah. covered. Um, that is not their job. It is, it is meant to be a reference point. I do um, a reading comprehension quiz. And the quiz is very brief. I curve them so that it is not just, I try to not pick out obscure things. If I see that I asked 10 questions and the highest score was an eight, then I probably wrote two questions that were a little, that weren't great. So yeah. let's, let's kind of mm -hmm. toss that out. Because what I'm trying to get at is some sort of accountability as to whether or not students read. And I've asked students, you know, what, what else could we do? And the pretty honest answer from a variety of students were, if you didn't do the reading quizzes, I wouldn't do the reading. Um, mm, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think it's a perfect system, but I've tried to be very reasonable in its implementation, how much of the grade book it occupies. I drop the lowest one. I tell kids too, life happens. If you need to reschedule a quiz, um, come talk to me. We will reschedule it. Like, uh, I think that's the biggest thing in to kind of bridge this as I need to go pick up my, my two tiny humans yes, and, and yes. go be a mom is um, to, to recognize our collective humanity and tell students that I can't, again, I can't control what happens outside of this class and my class is not the, the most important thing in your life. So when uh, life happens to you and you need some understanding, please come and you don't need to tell me your personal business, but if you need an extension, if you need um, to take the quiz tomorrow, I don't need to know why, but you can tell me if you want. The answer is always going to be yes. And the reason it's going to be yes is because in my experience, that is what most of the real world is. Like yeah, I, I realize yeah, deadlines yeah. exist, but um, I but think real you life is complicated. Real life yeah. is complicated. <laughs> and so you can ask for some, some understanding. So I tell students you have a very strict late work policy and that I don't accept late work. And that's true because it's easier to not keep track of yep. logistically speaking. Oh, yeah. You turn this in five <laughs> days late. So I'm marking like, I'm not doing that. Um, but if you say to me, hey, can I have a little extra time? The answer is yes, because I don't lose anything by saying that. Yep. And I have yet to see a student uh, take advantage of that policy in yeah. a way that feels like it's being yeah, taken yeah, advantage yeah. of. And I think that it, it is a little bit messy, but at the same time, that feels authentic to me. That feels like students are in a way they, they can ask for extension. So. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't remember where we started, but that's, no, that's, that's great, where I ended. That's a great place. <laughs> and um, I mean, I think uh, the un, like the collective humanity of things is really important. I'm probably going to address a bunch of stuff uh, n now that you're leaving, but okay. it's just to build on to what you're saying. Uh, but but she is Jen Boyle Tarman. Uh, thank you for thank being you here so with much us today. Thank you so much for uh, Stay dope. And, uh, thank you. Yeah, for sure. Thanks <laughs> yes. for being here. And take care of your small humans. Yes. I will do that. Yes. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks for being here. We'll, we'll continue this conversation as uh, as we transition to a three-person conversation here. Uh, so I feel like I should be doing like a, like sponsorships now. And this episode of Two Dope Teachers is brought to you by nobody. because ain't nobody. The pencils that you find on your floor every afternoon. And the sandwich. Broken pencils are the best pencils to hand out because your kids will be mad because they have no erasers. Broken pencils. Did you write that or just off the dome? off the dome. That was off the dome. I can make commercials. That is what you could. That's going to be my net. You know what? I feel like that was either a teacher or an ad executive. 
Yo, hey, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram and tell us what our next uh, I'll make product an ad for be. you. Send me, yeah. send me forty dollars. <laughs> what? What'd you say? The imaginary sponsorships. The imaginary sponsorships that we get no money out of, which is kind of. I don't think that's teacherpreneurship. Personally. <laughs> Teacher um, uh, so yeah, this one and the next one will be brought to you by that sandwich. That who knows how long it's been in the bookcase. Bookcase sandwich. Bookcase sandwich. It's been in your bookcase for three weeks. <laughs> it's got mold. Uh, yeah. So so there's a couple of things that I think are really interesting. That I think everybody uh, should really be thinking about in terms of decolonizing your AP glass and and decolonizing school. School, in uh, which I think yeah. is kind of a, another good step. Um, so oftentimes, and this is causing a real shift for me. So I give a quiz, giving my, I'm way behind, Bram. I'm giving my period three exam tomorrow. <laughs> and, and, and I kind of want to, I kind of want to go on our Facebook page and put up, yo, hot take. I'm still talking about Rome. What, 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 now? <laughs> and, what now? And watch, and watch people just fall apart. Um, no, but so, so like. So we look at quiz scores often, and, and as a part of this institution, if kids get 8 out of 10, we're like, oh, they only screwed up on two of them, yes. right? And they did well on eight of them. But what Jen said was like, if they got 8 out of 10, then I wonder if there's two questions I wrote badly. badly. And I think that's a real like shift to kind of get into because I think um, that challenges kind of that banking model of education that yeah. if you – are you need to come and give me exactly what I had in mind. You have to guess what was in my, my head, head when I wrote this quiz. And if you guess what was in my head correctly, then you did good. And I think the idea yep. that you reflect upon that piece is, is extremely um, important that, you know, it reinforces that idea that you're building a community. Yeah, yeah. And you, as, as Jen was talking, I was thinking in my mind, like the image that I have in an AP class from movies and the teachers, like, you don't have your homework. <laughs> you are going to live up. Yeah. You need to read <laughs> and write and all this stuff. I still, I, I'm like, I'm still I having like broken pencils going through that. my head right now. Like, it's, I still have broken pencils going through my head. <laughs> that's, that's my eighth grade life. No, that's good. But, uh, but, <laughs> But this idea that it's actually teachers, AP teachers are more approachable, more flexible mm -hmm. around who you are, you know, and I think that's what increases the amount of students of color yeah. who are choosing to take these classes because I think you stress out, you worry about like, you know, I don't know, I'm not an expert on this. And I was a kid, uh, not to brag on myself, <laughs> but social studies classes, history class, yeah, that was where I, I rocked yeah. always. I hated know? history and classes. History me. classes were unengaging. No, I was always engaged, and, and, and I didn't always engage in the yeah. reading, but I kind of knew the history. I don't know how. I'd skim the book. I was one of those kids who'd sit in the back and look through and find the appendix and read those the wild stories. I caught myself. <laughs> yeah. Those wild stories <laughs> in the appendix. You know, like yeah. you'll go back and be like, oh, wow, why are we talking about this? Yeah. This is really cool. Yeah. You know, and but again, nobody, nobody pushed me towards that. Nobody yeah. encouraged me. You know, I remember one of my favorite teachers taught the AP economics class, and I was acing the economics class. Nobody was like... You should take this AP economics class. And I think back to it, I'm wondering, like, how much did race play into it? How much did an intimidation on my level? Right. You know, like, I don't take these classes. I had some girlfriends who would be in AP classes. Girlfriends. Okay. Friends who were my girls. They weren't my girlfriends. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. They were female friends. I'm like, okay. All right. Yeah, I, I didn't have no girlfriends. Yeah, neither did I. I was, I was, I, I, I was played it loose. Yeah. But again, I'd see them, and I, I felt like for some reason I didn't belong there. Looking back, you said you played it loose. I'm sorry, that was like a really what? <laughs> you know, I, I didn't nail myself down. I, was a, I didn't nail myself to down. Quote to quote the young one. people, I was a single Pringle. I was trying to single Pringle, single, single Pringle. But but 
<laughs> looking back, I was like, I actually probably belonged in some of those classes. Oh yeah, and it would have sure. pushed me at a higher yeah. level, and and just the way I think about social studies and in particular history, you know, civics. I, I wish that someone had come along and I had had one of you guys or, or Jen as a teacher who had said, you know what, you're good at this stuff and I'd love to get you into it. And it's okay if you're intimidated, you know. And the other thing that I was is a slow reader, yeah. right? And I still am a slow reader. Yeah. And so, like, that's one of the things that always would intimidate me when I'd hear about the reading loads that yeah. these kids had in yeah. AP classes. For real. You know, but when you guys talk about, well, there's different ways to approach the reading. And I know... Uh, Gerardo, you've used videos to supplement some of those readings for some kids. <laughs> Uploading videos that nobody watches. And things yeah. like that, you know. Well, I would have been the kid watching you would, it. Yeah, I yeah, was like, yeah. I'm into this. Because we would have been like, what's this internet thing? There's, yeah. Oh, wow. This, <laughs> this YouTube cool. thing that yeah. my teacher is giving me access to. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Bram, what are your thoughts about kind of um, really getting those kids of color to engage that aren't the traditional AP students? How have you kind of gone about that work? All right, so there's like a couple of things. Like one, world history, like is I, I just think it's great in the sense that you have this incredible like sort of range of stories that you can draw upon. That all of a sudden, for students of color, it's like whoa, that's that's my history there. Yeah, yeah. it's actually getting talked about. Yeah, especially yeah. if you do it in a meaningful way, you know, and are doing it on a regular basis. Okay, like it may be today, like the story is going to resonate more with, you know, the Latinx students. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it might be that a South Asian student is like, well, this isn't me. But they kind of then start to see like, oh, like they know different stories are going to come up. It's not just one person's history. And you start to see the interconnectedness. And that's been a huge part of how I've got I've tried to get students excited about it. Um, they just you you know that at some point there's going to be a shift, and so if you find like today's topic boring, well, guess what? Tomorrow's going to be a new one. Yeah. So you have <laughs> yeah. that advantage. Like you just have to keep on moving in world history, but you yeah. know that when it's thought out well, that at some point the teacher is going to circle back around and and address things in a way that speaks directly to you, or even like if you are doing a lot more with sort of like Western stories or stuff, like how you approach them and like, you know, are you willing to critique them? Do you present them as triumphalist? So like just today um, in my class, we're talking about like the events leading up to the Seven Years' War and the students were learning about the way in which um, European states were colonizing the Americas and I started off with a map that like just shows like very like clear borders between like French territory and English territory and Spanish territory and it's like very solid colors and so the thing was like well what's problematic with the way this map is drawn and so the students started to realize well like are these borders actually correct Like, is this where, like, they actually were? Is there any disputes? And then I was like, well, what about, like, other people in the Americas besides those Europeans? And it led to then this discussion about, like, how European colonialism in the Americas is this constant, like, 
act of like dealing with challenges and resistance from yeah. indigenous people, yeah. from yeah. enslaved Africans. Yep. And, and all of a sudden, like the story is just a whole different story that gets a lot more kids excited. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, while you were saying that, uh, it it reminded me. Gerardo hipped me to your uh, paperless history blog today, and I was reading through the uh, two views of global Lisbon. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, like, um, I just read from your blog. So just relax while I read yeah, you your yeah, words. Yeah. Is it gonna feel weird <laughs> having him read your words? Or, Go for it. All right. Cool. So you said, despite knowing better, I often fall into the <laughs> trap of thinking Europe's history as white history until quite recently. Mm. It's not that I ignore the diversity of Europe, but I'm not doing things that challenge my own and often my students' mental image of what pre-modern Europe looked like. But recent scholarship about the Roman Empire medieval Europe has made it clear that Europe was never white. And for many white nationalists and white supremacists, this historically inaccurate image of Europe as white is used to justify their racist beliefs about Europe and the West today. And I think like you you really hit on this thing like we don't always see the history. Like our students see it. They're like, Europe is white. Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah. wait, I learned about this thing called uh what do we call that when all the <laughs> the, the the Muslims come up to Spain? What do we call that? Uh, I I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't really know history. Conquests. Like yeah. Yeah, no, the, but, the more, well, the more I, so, I know it so as interestingly, like the, the, yeah. the, the, the um, reconquest, you know right? where it's like you know, we're kicking everybody you know, out. I, yo, yeah. I, I got to tell everyone here in the audience, I just had a really weird moment because just as you were thinking about that, I was thinking about the exact same thing. Um, far out. It's far out, man. <laughs> it's so far out. Um, so, no, so so I think, like, it's traditionally written as the Moorish occupation, right? Yes, yes. And so that yeah. term occupation is really interesting um, because it's very clear what the point of view is on that. Yep. Um, but so I had my students read a piece out of uh, the history of the world in 100 objects, the one yep. about the Hebrew astrolabe, right? Mm-hmm. The one that, yes. from Al-Andalus. Yes. And, um, and the word that they use that, that they use in, in that region when they talk about the history is a time of convivencia which is sort of loosely translated to co-living and existing together. And so, and they talk about this whole period, um, these multiple centuries um, of a Muslim presence in Spain as a time of like convivencia and that by 1492, uh, the era of convivencia was over. And so just when you talk about that, like, like, because I remember reading that same uh, blog post from Bram, like how... Um, when we talk about Spain, and we have a lot of Mexicano kids here, yep, so yep. when we talk about Spain, it's like, yeah, no, Spain's not just like white people who speak Spanish. There's actually five or six different languages yep. that are pretty common there. There's There are ethnic groups there that don't identify as Spanish per se. Yep. And so it's the just Basques. a really... The Basques. Yep, yep. We got the Basque who have the Catalans and like, you know, the Gallegos yep. who, you know, and, and those kinds of things, which is just a really interesting thing yeah and i think you know um and that's that's the thing that i really like about the ap classes because i do think it exposes kids to like this deeper level of history and that there are these really intense debates that we can have about history and and there's things that aren't clear right that aren't like that we assume are clear or taught that are very clear and delineated and like this is what it is yeah but when we look at the history it's 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 very different than that reality yeah. right and that yeah. i think we we go back and that we are humans and that humans were traveling and moving and it's like i always you know from my perspective 
is like, why do we call it the Dark Ages in Europe? What was going on there? You know, and what brought them out of that Dark Ages? Yeah. What sparked it? Well, it was interacting with the rest of the world <laughs> right? that was doing things like bathing on a daily basis. Right? No shade. Not Yo, letting no their shade. animals no shade. outside. Not letting their animals in their house with them. Yeah. They're like, that's not a good idea. Yeah, no, that's... And our experience, you know, and, and, and to have kids kind of see that there was cultural development in these other parts of the world that was, if not equal to the development in Europe, superior to yeah, it. You know? sure, and sure. I love your point, Bram, about like kids of color learning that history. And I think when they're not in those classes, this is why we end up with uh, you know, these white African-American studies or Africana studies teachers who and black kids are like how do these white people know all of this history about right, yeah. Africa and, yeah. I don't, and I don't you know yeah, exactly it's because you're not exposed to these classes you're not in these classes yeah. where we're having these historical conversations yeah Bram you were gonna well, say something I was gonna just also add in like you'll get the teacher who like looks at the AP world curriculum and you know that post like you're talking about like that's Lisbon, Lisbon during the Renaissance. Yeah. And they have to define the Renaissance as oh, this is all about the revival of Greek and Latin. Right. The classics. Yeah. You know, like it's just all this sort of like navel gazing into Europe instead of <laughs> like wait a second, like, this Renaissance thing can be such a broader concept there. And so if we just sort of like are willing to kind of let go of the story that we grew up with as the only possible story of like western history and how it's placed in the world then like there's a lot more room for this stuff yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah. um i want to pivot really quickly to another aspect of this uh so we talk about decolonize like because i was thinking about you know, Chris Emden writes about um, new indigenous people, yes. uh, people of color living in cities and, and that kind of thing. Yes. And so I started, I don't know, as, as, as you all were, were speaking, um, I started to kind of think about what the colonial relationship has traditionally been, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's, it's essentially an authority that's kind of self-appointed, yes. right? That comes into an area of indigenous people yes. or um, pre-existing communities uh-huh. that have been living there for a while. And so I started thinking a little bit about what what the colonial relationship is and what it means to deconstruct that colonial relationship in the work that we do. And so I came to this kind of – so uh, the Sepoy Rebellion is one of my favorite things to teach um, because it, it's sort of like if school was a historical event, it yep. would be that rebellion, right, where you have folks who are in here kind of like – asking individuals on a daily basis to act in ways that don't feel intuitive to can them, you, right? Can, can I pause you for a second? Yes. Will you give our listeners just some a brief historical understanding of the event that you're speaking Do of? Do you not know about the Seaport Rebellion? No. I'm just playing. Um, so, so this <laughs> I is, wanted to know this is a, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, oh, that's right. They didn't let you take those <laughs> classes. Me. That's my stuff. want me there. <laughs> so, um, so, so it's essentially a, uh, a rebellion that happened in the 19th century uh, the sepoys were Indian soldiers serving in the British military. Yes. And one of the things that they were required to do... I don't remember exactly how this works, Ram. So the bullets, right, they they were lubricated with, with lard, right? Either... There's, like, some discussion and debate about, like, what exactly... It's not even what they were lubricated with. It's yeah. what the soldiers thought they, they were, were lubricated, lubricated with, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it was like there's yeah, so there's uh, there was apparently dispute as to whether it was pork lard or beef lard, uh-huh. which 
pork, obviously not something that uh, you want to ask a Muslim to yes. ingest or yes. put like like on their lips. Yep. And beef for the Hindu sort of. Uh, uh, people and so this whole rebellion of these sepoys against the British military happened in that way and these were ostensibly the folks who had at least agreed on some level to play along with the occupier yeah right yep. and um, and so I think about that in school right yes <laughs> like how, how we sort of we bring these kids in here like some of us are running these occupational forces <laughs> yes. that are kind of like yes. here and uh, these occupying like armies of teachers who come from outside of the neighborhood often yes. and plant themselves. Ooh, I feel good about where I'm going yeah, with this. I'm, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling keep good. Going, keep going. So if, if colonialism is antithetical to self-determination, yep. then maybe what you, maybe the number one way that you decolonize and, and, and Jen and Bram, both of you had these incredible points about the role of the student in your classes. Mm -hmm. Bram, we'll have to have another episode at some point when you talk <laughs> about your speaking truth to power class. Cause that, that sounds well, dope and yeah, uh, that'll take us class. another three hours. <laughs> but, but like, so this idea that the students are invested not only in um, how they collaborate with you and decisions that you've already made, but how they invest in order that they make, may make some of their own decisions about how they're going to learn in your class, how you are going to sort of collaborate with them and how you're all gonna move forward. So to me, it seems like the easiest thing to sort of do to shift your mindset is to recognize that we are all living in a colonized context, right? Schools are colonial sites. Um, and therefore, the way we disrupt that is through a night through ideas of self determination and community, yeah. right? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yo, I just talent. came up with that. I based on what you just said, I have an idea. <laughs> you two AP teachers, tell me what you think. All right, so we've gone through the summer. I Wait, what are we doing? Are we evaluating so this on a rubric time, or whatever? We're gonna time travel like, and then we're gonna think. We're gonna time travel and then we're gonna think. See, time travel is problematic in AP. Okay, we're time traveling into the future, not the past. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, so, so here's what I want you to do. Go with me on this trip. Okay. So we go through, we, we've had our winter break. Yep. We've we've gone through this the 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 late winter. Okay. It's <laughs> like go, the early we're, fall. We're getting to, to spring. <laughs> we're getting excited about spring break. We go through spring yeah, break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We go <coughs> through the end of the year. We have graduation. Everybody puts the cap on, throws the caps. Woo, yep. Yes. I say goodbye to my senior advisor. I'm happy. Advisor. We're thrilled. Goodbye. I'm done with you i love you uh see you in the streets you're the city's problem now holler at me if you see me in the streets enjoying myself in the summer don't holler don't, at me don't holler. don't be like mr adams don't holler. why do you have two mind drinks your business. in your hand mind your business mind your business but so so keep going that summer ends you get sad you're like oh i'm ready i'm ready no i'm not ready so you guys come back it's the beginning of the year this is the most disappointing time travel now, here's experience i've ever had i time travel to the beginning of the school year <laughs> so now we're back at the beginning of the school year. Oh man! You have your AP students. I'm having in front a panic attack. I need you to get somewhere with this. You hand <laughs> you hand them all the topics from the AP course. You give them to them, and you say, "How should we go through this? What do you want to know more about? What do you want to know the most about? How do we approach this?" And you say, "This is your <laughs> yeah. class. You're yeah. running this show. Yeah. You help me design where we're headed." What do you guys think about an idea like that? So, you've just kind of give, given a, like a brief sort of summary of like what I do in my speaking truth to power class. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I do have the students design it. Now, I think it works really, really well in an elective class like that one, you know, or a class where you don't have this big end-of-year assessment. Yeah. The, 
with an AP class, because you do have to keep moving. Like this is the drawback. Like yeah. you you have to like create a vision. Okay, by like winter break I'm here. By spring break I'm here. If you don't, like you won't get through the material. So as much as I would love to do that with like my tenth grade world history students, yeah. it's not gonna happen. <laughs> 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 like, you know, the, and I I just also think that like there's like a certain age in like intellectual development in which those things start to become much more accessible for the yeah. kids. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still that younger, point. like I, I, I just don't think they're going to make the best choices. <laughs> they're going to choose. How about we don't do any they, homework or any quizzes or any yeah. like essays, and and you just trust us to learn it. And if we don't, it's on us. We'll watch crash course videos. <laughs> right. <laughs> they don't even want to watch crash course. No, videos. they don't. It's like eleven minutes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they want something even shorter and. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. How many times have your students won? History of the whole world in ten. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that one. Yeah. That that one. In fact, we were talking about that in a tutoring session today, and they're like, "You should show that." I'm like, "No, but I mean, feel free to watch it, whatever." And, and the same the same thing with like, you know, how many how many times have your kids wanted to watch that history of Japan video? Oh God. It's, it's the worst. It's, yeah. It's the worst. Yeah. And it's inappropriate. Like, so I don't is even it? show up for class. It's really bad. You can look it up. I, Having said that, okay. look it up. I've got no, I, and tonight. I agree with what Bram's saying here that, that I think that, like, for me, what I try to do, and I've tried to do this more, is um, is I've got this pretty exhaustive survey that the kids do on the first yeah. day. It's like, what is your best way to learn? What are some commitments you have that are important that I should know about? What um, why are you in an AP class? Because they don't even all take AP classes mm-hmm. for the same mm-hmm. reason. Some want to do really well on the test. Like, I, I, my mom told me i got to get a five, so i got to get a five. And that's why I'm here. I'm going to get five this year. I'm going to do one next year. I'm going to keep on getting fives in college. And you're like, dude, there's no AP classes in college. Like, I don't care. I'm going to get a five. <laughs> um, and so, like, there's that aspect of it. But then there are other kids who are kind of like, all my friends are taking AP, so I'm going to be an AP. And, like, for whatever that's worth, you kind of have to accept that they are here, and on some level they kind of want to get the stuff. through the door. So I think where I go is I say, as much as possible, I'm going to try to align my goals to your goals, right? Yeah. And so if you're... If what you want is you want test preparation, I'm going to provide you with a little bit of test preparation mm-hmm. because I know that that's access for a lot of you. If some of you just want rigor and like something challenging and interesting, yeah, let's let's actually try to do that as much as we can. Um, I'm waving goodbye to my child who's been wonderfully patient this entire time. <laughs> so good. She's being picked up by uh, by my wife, so uh, good there stuff. We go. um, and then and then what I found is while. Uh, oops. Uh, while sorry, that was a notification. Um, so while uh, I can't, I can't have them construct the reading calendar because that's just not going to happen. Yeah, um, as Bram like, said, we're going to put it all off until the end. Yeah, we can talk a little bit about you know. So like like so today we had um, we had Socratic discussions, and the kids asked afterwards, "Hey, why don't you just let us lead these?" and let us kind of like sit in and so that's a conversation that we're having so i think through like process and through how students collaborate with each other i do think that that's because i still believe that one of the ways you can disrupt like the 
the traditional sort of framework of how AP is delivered is by making it a community, by mm -hmm. saying we're all in this together, we're working together, we're trying to like build into like um, something that we can feel good about at the end of the year. And you enlist them in that process, right? And you show them that you care um, about them as, 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 uh, as Jen said before she left, uh, collective humanity, like we're all human beings trying to do the best that we can. So let's just commit to that. And, um, and you can always talk to me. I like that point. I like that point. So, but if I walk in and I'm like, I want to learn about Africa. You're going to learn about Africa. That's what you're going to tell me? Yeah. We're going to learn about Africa. Yeah. The good thing in world <laughs> history is that, like, you really will learn about everywhere in the world at yeah. some point if you have a decent teacher yeah. who's committed to doing it. Who isn't, like, just thinking, like, well, we're going to spend one day on Africa. I mean, like, you will spend <laughs> right. a significant amount of time on Africa. You'll spend a significant amount of time in Latin America, on different parts of Asia. And so it's great. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to go back to something, because, like, what you were just saying about sort of, like, the collective humanity, I think that that also ties into the analogy before about if, like, typical school is, like, decolonization, I mean, is colonization, mm -hmm. then, like, how do you get kids to think about it as self-determination? And yeah. that, like, yeah. it's, that is the process. Like, it really, I, I never, like, thought about, you know, like, we, we keep talking now about, like, decolonizing school, Yeah. but in a way, it kind of becomes a top-down process still, that, like, right. it's yep. a teacher trying to, like, force it and direct it, and mm -hmm. you are, like, I wonder if using that language of self-determination is almost better because it's then reframing it and that the students are directing things more. Yeah, that's really important. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think like, and and uh, we haven't shouted out Bell Hooks in a while. We so we're going to shout out shout Bell Hooks out. real quick. But I mean, Bell, Bell Hooks writes in Teaching the Transgress that teaching ought to be the practice of freedom. And yep. so if if we believe that, then I think you're right. I think that this idea of self-determination is freedom. Having the, being in a position where you can actually make authentic decisions, not decisions because it's the only one in front of you, yeah. um, but authentic decisions about your life and your education and your learning and your work, um, that's self-determination, that's freedom. You it know? is, it is. Yeah. I feel like that's a great place to, to leave that, right? Any, any, any hot takes, Bram? Hey, are you, I wanted to ask you, are you a Knicks fan? No. Yeah, it's good. Good. I'm not a Knicks fan. I'm not. I think I might have mentioned this before. I'm not any New York sports fan. No. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, we talked about that before. Good. You're a Barcelona yeah. fan, which is why I love you. Right. So like, <laughs> Barcelona is my passion. But like, I was born in Boston and raised. Oh, oh wait, there. he's gonna start. He's gonna start. Yeah, I, I don't like New York. I mean, Boston sports teams either. Oh, okay. Like, there we go. Sorry, he's. We got a Broncos so, fan here. I'm still boycotting the NFL, but but he. I mean, we, we, oh <laughs> god, like I, the Patriots. Like it's like simultaneously like incredible in one sense to have watched the Patriots last twenty years. And like, <laughs> does well, and then you're like, they're awful. It's <laughs> so a bad. model of an organization. It's so like, bad. Everything I dislike about <laughs> like sports is terrible. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. Well, well, I'm excited about my Nuggets. So yes. if you were a Knicks fan, I was going to talk nuggets. some stuff. They're my Nuggets. They're my Nuggets. They're they're my nuggets. I'm from here. I'm from here. I'm, you are not from here. I've been you're here. from Atlanta, and we smashed Atlanta. Anyway, um, I, I do like my Celtics a little bit more than you know any of the other Boston. Yeah, we smash them too. Anyway, yeah. I, I'm talking stuff now. We can tell that this is a good time to bring the segment to an end. Um, Bram Hubble, 
Paperless history. Yes. Decolonize. Uh, maybe looking towards moving to or s towards a self-determination. Yes. Uh, Self-determination. Sort of, uh, you know, movement. Uh, we really thank you for taking the time all the way on the East Coast. Uh, to I, I mean, it must be dang near prime time over there. Uh, and. Um, <laughs> And uh, we just really thank you for taking the time to be on the show today. Yeah, yeah. Glad to finally link up. No, it's it's great. And thank you so much for, you know, one, doing the podcast. I've loved listening to it for the last couple of years. But also, like, yeah, this was a great conversation. I mean, you know, this is I, the, like, the thing that, like, I think we need to have more of, or, like, these types of conversations among teachers. Yeah, 100%. That, like, allow you the freedom to, like, imagine what you can do rather than trying to figure out, like, how do you check off some boxes and get exactly. this done for the test, you Exactly, know? Yep. exactly. Yep. Well, we look forward to future conversations, sir, and uh, we yep. thank you for being on the show with us today. All right. Thank you very much. Have a great evening. Keep posting pictures of your food and your travels because that makes me jealous yep. and and um, and inspired at the same time. <laughs> I, I will definitely be doing both of those things. So. All right, man. Uh, he is Bram care. Hubble. Bye. Follow Paperless History. Uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah. All right. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. So that's uh, – <laughs> and that's Skype hanging up. Hanging up. <laughs> Skype. No, that, just that's, us again. That's Bram Hubble. Um, the man, the myth, it, the and man, the legend. The myth and the legend. Um, he actually had he had a hot take on uh, on Kanye. Like he was sort of team Kanye with yes, you, yes. but only for five minutes at a time. Five minutes at a time. Even back in the day, you <laughs> those jams. That's what he said. I know what he was That's up what in the he club. Said. He went That's five. What he said. Minutes. <laughs> play, that, play that gold digger again. <laughs> no. Hold on. You know problematic. what I Problematic. Problematic. You know what I thought about though. Here's the thing. <laughs> so obviously, <laughs> Jesus walks. Yes. That song, like for what it was at the time. Yeah, no, I, I, I go go ahead, go ahead. I, I just think that, that that's that's a big that that song when I hear it the way it sounds when yeah. it comes dum dum yeah. dum yeah, 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 dum yeah. dum yeah. we are war <laughs> with terrorism we are war what's he saying? and he's like Yeah, he no goes that's through. right. Now do you know that Lupe did a bootleg? Yeah, the that, Muhammad Walks. Uh, Muhammad Walks yeah. and one of the lines is I ain't trying to use the profit for profit and it's like ooh, ooh. Lupe Lupe got no chill. Lupe I he always wondered I need to look up Lupe. Come yeah. on, where Lupe bit. Lupe, I, I heard Lupe re retire from rap. Not well, he did, and then he unretired. Oh, that happened. He 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 released an album just a few weeks ago. He got ago. a new one. I gotta like, check it out. Low key came out. It's beautiful. I gotta um, check it out. He actually, he actually raps in Spanish on one track. Does he? Yeah, he's there ridiculous. We there we go. Um, so that I know he was studying for a minute. He was like enrolled in like a like engineering program or something. Probably just because he wanted to. Yeah, no, but yeah. he's like that type of thinker. Yeah. Go ahead. So, what were we gonna say? So I was just gonna. Well, we are gonna start wrapping up this show, right? Okay. So we are. Going on we are tonight. at. <laughs> we are at Two Dope Teachers on the Twitter, on the Instagram. You can also like us on Facebook. Hey, get at us with your um, notions of how you decolonize your um, AP class. We talk mostly about AP history classes, yep. where there may be a more. Um, a more clear sort of content connection to how you decolonize. Yep. Um, but we would like to know how you decolonize AP calculus. How do you yeah. decolonize AP biology? Um, Wait, sci science has no race. Science is objective. That's right. Just like phrenology and phrenology just like no and just like Henrietta Lacks. Eugenics, eugenics. Eugenics. Definitely. Yeah, the Tuskegee experiment was oh. definitely not racial in any way, <laughs> uh, for real. Right. <laughs> so like, get at us with how you um, with how you do this. And, um, and we'll shout you out um, on the podcast. Um, so Decolonize is the theme. Uh, for Jen Boyle Tarman 
and Bram Hubble and Kevin Adams. My name is Gerardo Munoz. We are asking you not only to decolonize, uh, but we are asking you today, next week, and always to stay, stay dope. dope.